I hope you are well this morning, but either way, you're in the right place. I want to welcome you to church this morning. My name is Lauren. For those that don't know me, I hope you are able to settle in and just make yourself at home here. We are glad to be with you, worshiping the Lord, seeking the Lord together this morning. Well, I want to let you know about a few things coming up um, in the life of the church, uh, opportunities for you to plug in to the body of Christ here, opportunities for you to engage the kingdom of God. Um, the first thing I want to share with you is our Kingdom Basics series. A couple weeks ago, um, Amy, our worship director, um, taught on what it means to worship the Lord, um, what a lifestyle of worship is, and you guys got to practice. And that's one of the um, my favorite things about the Kingdom Basics series is that um, we're learning, but we're also engaging and practicing. We can have a lot of head knowledge, but it doesn't, we cannot know a lot of things even about Jesus, but unless it translates into action, unless it translates into movement and change, um, it just sits here and we want it to go out. We want to um, expand the kingdom of God. In fact, Luke 4 uh, verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So why was Jesus sent? He tells us he was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God. So if the kingdom of God is Jesus's central message, if that's the main thing he came to teach us about, the kingdom of God, then it would make sense we spend time and energy and effort pursuing our understanding and our engagement with the kingdom of God. And that's why we want to offer this Kingdom Basics series. This is something that we do Sunday evenings. Um, obviously, we are engaging the kingdom and, and um, pursuing our knowledge of that and Jesus here on Sunday mornings. But our Sunday evenings Kingdom Basics series is a time to dive even deeper, spend more focused time both learning as well as practicing and engaging um, with specific pieces of the kingdom of God as presented in the word of God. So tonight is your next opportunity. Tonight we're going to be talking about authority in Christ and children in particular and how authority relates to them. So this is going to talk about, we're going to talk about how to pray with authority, the authority that God has given you. We talk a lot about authority and we need to understand how we engage that authority. So we're going to um, talk about that and practice that. Um, we're going to be, like I said, talking about how to pray with authority, but especially how to pray with authority over your children and over your family relationships. Um, this, tonight, this Kingdom Basics um, session is really for anyone who has any connection to children, whether it's a parent, as a parent or a grandparent or a teacher, um, we want you here so that you can understand the authority that God has given you to speak and pray and see kingdom um, advancement in children and family relationships. Um, in particular tonight, I'm really excited. So we have childcare during the Kingdom Basic series, but tonight, because it's about kids, we will have a section um, during uh, the session where there will be teaching specifically for the kids. Um, telling them and explaining to them their authority in Christ, which is just life-changing. I wish I had known as a child my authority, no junior Holy Spirit in the kids, right? So our kids who are following Christ have authority, and they need to know that, and they need to know how to engage that, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. In fact, I wanted to invite Deborah Thomas up um, to share a brief testimony specifically to that end. 
Edward and I went traveling to see family this past week. And one of the families is in Savannah, my son and his wife. And they have a daughter, our granddaughter, living with them. And she's been through a really tough time. She's a single mom. And she has a little girl who's two and a half. And there's been a, a I, I don't need to go into details, just a horrible situation with a not so good boyfriend and caused a lot of hurt. And the, the great granddaughter's been having night terrors for months now. And my, gr my daughter-in-law said that, you know, she's tried to help her, you know, like when she has a meltdown, she'll take her and try to de-escalate that to, to show her daughter how to be a mom to this little girl. Well, we were down there before we, the Sunday before we went, I came up for prayer for them. Um, she's just got some hard choices to make. She's trying to get out on her own and all those things. And I asked Pastor Charles to pray for my granddaughter and my great-granddaughter. And he did. And it was beautiful. And then he had a word about the great-granddaughter. He said, when you go there, you're to pray against the trauma in her life while she's sleeping. I thought, now isn't that interesting? And I said, okay. Well, when you go into your children's homes and, you know, you want to be careful. You don't want to offend anybody or step in too far. So the first night we were there, everything went fairly well. Um, and I was praying, Lord, when? when? How can I do this? I, you know, this is my granddaughter's child. She's not my child. And the second night... I couldn't get to sleep. It was like I laid there for like an hour, and I asked the Lord, why can I not go to sleep? Is there something, you, you, are you trying to tell me something? And all he said was Leora, and that's my great-granddaughter's name. So I began to pray for Leora, and then I went sound to sleep. But at 3.30 in the morning, blood-curdling screaming was coming from my granddaughter's room. And she kept, the little one kept saying two words over and over, and she was screaming so hard, it was like hoarse in her throat. And I let that go on for a few minutes, thinking, well, my granddaughter can settle her down, but she never did. And I said, Father, is this it? Is this what Charles was prophesying about? I walked across the hall, and I gently tapped on the door, and I heard my granddaughter say, it's okay, Grandma, it'll be okay. And I said, no it's not okay. Can I come in? And she said, yes. And I asked her what she was screaming, and she said, she's screaming school bus. I'm telling you, this went on for seven minutes, five, seven minutes before I walked in. And I'm like, why is she doing that? She goes, I have no idea, but she has night terrors almost every night. And I said, Olivia, can I pray for her? And she said, yes. And it, it shocked me because that child was screaming so loud, and the minute my hand touched her head, stopped. It just stopped. On a dime, no de-escalation, stopped. And she was sound asleep, and then I prayed over her against the trauma in her life for what, because she went through some abuse with this bad boyfriend. So did my granddaughter. And then I asked Olivia, can I pray for her? And she said yes. The next night, total silence. And we then went on down to Florida to see her sister. 
And when we came back through, like three days later, I asked Olivia, I said, how's it going? She said she's been sleeping soundly ever since. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Do not forfeit what Jesus has bought for you. Pursue him. Pursue understanding who he is so that you know who you are and what you are called to walk in because it changes lives. It changes lives. So thank you, Deborah, for for sharing that. I invite you all tonight at 6 p.m., Learn about your authority and the effect that that has as you walk it out. Also, next week, our Kingdom Basics series will be practicing and engaging uh, the prophetic and what that means for believers today. And the following week, uh, we'll be uh, learning about and practicing praying for healing. So I invite you to all of those things. Also, October 6th, (laughs) Parents' Night Out is back. So... Parents who need an evening together, please come. It's only $5 a family. Whether you have two kids or 12 children, it's only $5 for your family. Your kids get dinner, and you get three hours of bliss. So, um, or cleaning, it, whatever, you know, makes sense for your situation. But we would, if you would like to um, partake in Parents' Night Out, all we ask is that you register. It's only $5 for your whole family. You can register. I believe there's a QR code in your um, bulletin as well as on the flyer in the back. And if you have families in your neighborhood that this would be a blessing to, please feel free to grab a flyer for them and have them register. We would welcome, um, welcome that. All right. Last but equally as exciting. <laughs> That's what we've already discussed this morning. I am so excited um, to give you a little teaser. I, I have heard personally and um, through the grapevine, there are so many people in the body of Christ here at Faith Church that have a deep desire, a longing to be equipped in kingdom work. You have now, the Lord has been gracious in bringing you and in transforming your mind to the extent that you have said, yes, God, I know that your Holy Spirit is living and active in me. I know I've seen it or I, I, I agree with you in that, Lord, but now what? How do I engage that, God? I'm just really excited um, to share with you a brief video of some things that are coming to Faith Church um, I just know, I know that you want to be equipped to affect kingdom change for your loved ones and those in your community, whether that's here at Faith Church when you're here, whether that's when you're at school, whether that's when you're at work. So if you would just turn your attention to the screen and watch with me. There is something inside all of us that calls out for more. An ache, a wonder, a drawing into discovering the fullness of this life. The church is the light of the world and the hope to the nations. Join us on a journey of discovering our identity, calling, and purpose in Jesus Christ. We as a family of believers all over the world can unite within our communities to learn the mind of Christ communicate the heart of the Father, and partner with the power of the Holy Spirit to see lives and cities, nations transform. The school is centered around teaching that will restore us to our true identity in Jesus Christ. 
we learn how to partner with the Holy Spirit to live a naturally supernatural life. The heart of the School of Kingdom Ministry is to train and equip the body of Christ in our local churches so we can learn to move in love and power in the kingdom of God with the people we know and trust. Let's be transformed and sent out together. So, we're going to host a School of Kingdom ministry. What this is, is it's a, the top end of what we are doing as, uh, what, how we are discipling as a church. This is, this is the top stuff. This is the thing that if you say, what, what am I going to do if I want to be fully discipled at Faith Church? You build yourself up and then you go to the School of Kingdom ministry. The School of Kingdom Ministry is a big commitment because discipleship is a big commitment. It's 27 weeks. 27 weeks. Uh, we're going to meet on Sundays. Um, and through that, they have uh, different teaching. They teach through kingdom theology. They teach about the Holy Spirit, identity, relationships. They teach about power evangelism, prophecy, physical healing, and emotional healing and deliverance. So what it is, is as you would come uh, to one of our sessions, you would, uh, there will be a video teaching for 30 to 35 minutes, and then we do what they call activations, what we would just call practices. Then we would just practice hearing God, praying, feeling, all these things that we do in Kingdom Basics that we do once a week uh, for a couple times a year, we're doing that every week for 27 weeks. So... Um, there's going to be a lot more information to come from this uh, and for this. Sign-ups will begin uh, within the next three weeks, and then the School of Kingdom Ministry will actually begin uh, after the first of the year. It's a big commitment, and it's a financial commitment as well. It's $275 per person. That breaks down to $10 a week is what you'd be paying, and you can pay in two installments, but this is all... Uh, available and will be available for anyone who wants to come. There's no prerequisites. You're going to get a textbook. There's no homework during the week. It's just coming on Sunday, staying for the two and a half to three hours, and then going home. And then there's ec extra reading if you want to do it, but none of that's required. But this is what we're doing to equip you to live, as the video called it, naturally supernatural. So this is open for um, anybody 16 years old and older, um, if more than one person registers in a family, there's uh, a discount of $50 per person. So uh, just be on the lookout. If this has piqued your interest, just be on the lookout for the next few weeks as we announce registration, as we announce more of what the, the program looks like. But I am excited. Um, this is this is going to transform you and our church and hopefully are the community around us. So uh, why don't you stand with me now? I know that was a long time of announcements and testimonies, and it's all good and needed, but uh, let's now focus our minds on Jesus. Let's just take 15, 20 seconds, and we're just going to be silent before the Lord. No prayers, no 
no asking him for anything, but just silence to focus our minds on Jesus. Put your hands out in front of you and repeat. If you would like to repeat, say, Father, we want all of you, all that you want to give us, not anything less, not anything more. Don't crush me under your weight, but let me stand in you. Say, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Woo, hallelujah. So I had the privilege, as, as Lauren said, to, to speak on worship, but there is a big difference in praise and in worship. And we're going to start this morning. The Bible gives us a beautiful progression of entering his courts and entering his gates with thanksgiving and praise. So right now, while the band's just kind of building up here, what I want you to do is in the back there's some flags. There are some streamers. Kids, if you want some streamers, let's make his praise glorious this morning. Let's make it big. Let's make it bold. If you want to stand in the back, that's good. In heaven, there is lots of color. There is lots of movement. So I'm going to encourage that as heaven is invading earth right now. Come on, let's praise him anywhere. No matter where you are this morning, give him praise.
just declaring who God is. These are the things that we basically believe. Come on, let's do it. Bold declarations from the people of God. Let's start with our Father.
give you honor and we give you glory. All authority is yours, Jesus. All authority is yours, Jesus. You rule and you reign. Hallelujah. In the heavens and on the earth, we establish and we declare you rule and you reign. In God you reign. God, you reign forever and ever. God, you reign. Come on, let's establish it in this room. God, you reign. God, you
God, you reign. God, you submit to anything who doesn't take second fiddle to to any created thing but reigns and rules in all power and glory and majesty with all dominion and that his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever Now, God, while we meditate on that truth, I pray that we would see in your word from your, from your perspective, Father, what that means for us. You are good and holy and wonderful. And you know our names. You love us deeply. And I pray that we sense that as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay standing. Every week we do 50 weeks in the word. We read one chapter. We memorize one verse and there was one Bible study. I led Bible study this last Wednesday and it was one of the highlights of my week, just the conversations we had. We didn't even get through half of the chapter that's how good the conversations were. So uh, show up for Bible study Wednesday night, 6.30 out in the fellowship hall. And we memorize one verse, and this week's verse was Ephesians 4.10. So let's say it together. He who did. Ephesians 4.10, you may be seated. We are in week six or seven of Faith Dogmatics. I've lost count. Um, we are been going through what we believe as a church. Like the song that we sang, we, uh, uh, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ's Son. All that song based on the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, we believe all of those things, but what do we believe at Faith Church that is distinctive and maybe different, still biblical, but different from what you might find in a standard evangelical, standard Baptist, standard Presbyterian type church? And so that's what we've been going through. And this week, we're continuing that with our discussion on authority and what that means. And I taught on this about a year ago. And I'm going to use the same, the same analogy. So if you were here, you know it. And I know that you know it because this was one of the most successful analogies that I've ever taught when I talk about authority, okay? It's the difference between Costco and Walmart. Do you guys remember? When I sign up for a Costco card, when I sign up for a Costco card, I sign a thing that says, 
I have to adhere by the rules at Costco, right? And so one of those rules is that they can check my receipt and make sure that I'm not stealing anything on the way out, but I give them permission. When I sign that, I say, you have the authority to do this. So when I'm walking out of Costco and I have a, a, a cart full of groceries, even though I only went in for one thing, but I ended up spending $150, right? And I have this cart of groceries and I'm going out. They have the legal right and authority to stop me, to look at my receipt, and to check my groceries and make sure that I'm not hiding a shirt under my uh, granola, right? Now, when I go into Walmart, I never signed such thing. Never did. Never gave them the authority to do that. And legally, they can't do anything. So I told you about a year ago that maybe this is a gray area in my sanctification, but when I walk out and they're checking receipts at Walmart, I just say, no, thank you. And I keep walking. Right? And it's a little, and, and I despise public awkwardness just in my, the depths of who I am. It makes me like, like ache inside. But this I have no problem doing. Walmart, I did not give you authority. You can't stop me. If you think I'm stealing, go ahead and call the police or get rid of your self checkouts and trust your checkers. Right? So, Costco, I'm okay with that. Walmart, no. I was going to say something. A little bit less loving, but no, I'm just going to walk out. I will admit that since then, I did that one time. I stopped one time and showed my receipt. I bought, um, I went and I bought a big TV. Um, oh, no, it wasn't a big TV. It was a small TV. It was like 45 inches. I bought a, a TV, and on my way out with the TV, they said, can I see that you paid for it? And I was like, it's one thing. It's a big ticket item. Here you go. I'll give you authority in this moment to do it, but don't expect it next time. <laughs> I walked out. And this is what authority is in the spiritual realm. We give authority and license to things depending on how we interact with God, how we interact uh, with the Holy Spirit. Like we give license to things. And then on the, the, the negative side, we give license to things in our sin, in the in the. the Dark, the, what Paul would call these powers and principalities and forces of darkness in the spiritual realm. We give license and authorities to them in our sin and in the ways that we interact with them, right? But Ephesians 1, 15, and I'm gonna read verses 15 through 23 in Ephesians chapter one. It, 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 it makes clear who is in authority. For this reason, Paul writes, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave to him his head of over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. I realized about halfway through as I was reading that, I realized that I didn't open my Bible to read it and I felt really awkward and I didn't know why because usually I read the opening out of my Bible. It was very strange. Uh, I don't know why you needed to know that. I just felt the need to tell you. (laughs) Here are the dogmatics that we've already gone through. All these things that we believe. As we look here at the end of Ephesians that Jesus was raised from the dead, seated at the right hand in the heavenly places, um, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. When Paul uses those types of phrases, he is not just uh, rattling things off that mean the same thing. This is actually language of demonic structures. These are languages of spiritual beings that have rebelled. So there are uh, rulers and authorities and powers and dominions. And but, Paul says, Jesus is all over, over it all. And, and he's the head of all things of the church, which is his body. So if Jesus is fully over all of it, and he's the head and we're part of the body, where does that place us? Over all rule and authority and power and dominion. And, but it's all from Jesus. This goes along with our dogmatics one and two. First, that faith church believes that the world is a supernatural place. And this goes far beyond just the, 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 uh, the mental exercise of saying, yes, there is angels and yes, there are demons, but they kind of keep to themselves or I said like they're over in Africa and, uh, and India and places like that, right? But we acknowledge that the supernatural realm is active at all times and there's far more than just angels and demons. There's so much going on in God's heavenly hierarchy and, spirit, and Satan's a dark hierarchy that we acknowledge all of that as we think, as we read, and as we minister to one another. Faith Church believes that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he began his earthly ministry and we wait and we await its fulfill, fulfillment now. And the kingdom of God is the authoritative rule and reign of Jesus over a people, a place, and a mission. And it's a reality, it's a reality of already but not yet. Jesus inaugurated, but we don't see its fulfillment yet. The fulfillment will come and it will be glorious, but we we march on towards that fulfillment as we do the works of the kingdom. The next dogmatic is that we believe that Jesus displayed the good news of the kingdom by his teaching with authority, by casting out demons and healing the sick. That's what the Bible says. This is when the kingdom's around is when Jesus is doing those things. And so when we do those things, we believe that the kingdom of God is around. We believe that we are called to do what Jesus did and display the kingdom in our own lives and in the world. And Jesus displayed power and miracles in his earthly ministry empowered by the spirit. This was two weeks ago. He didn't do it because he was God, though he was fully God. He, he limited himself and allowed the spirit to work through him so that we know how to live like Jesus did. And we are a continuationist church. We believe that all the spiritual gifts have continued and are available for the believer. 
I know people want to know. I was last week. I was at the Remnant Radio Conference. I was leading a couple sessions there, and I know people are asking for stories, and I'll give them a little bit as we go. But let me just tell you too, because the Bible says, "Earnest pursue love and earnestly desire all the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy." And so, prophecy was a focus of the conference. I just want to share with you two quick words. The first word was the first night, and there was a man named Cordell, and he's the head of the prophetic uh, ministry at Bridgeway Church, where Michael Roundtree is, and he's up there, and um, they have a line of people, and they've been asking God, what do you want to say to anybody in here? And he picks out a man in like the third or fourth row, and he just points at him, and he says, hi, what's your name? And he says, okay, um, I believe that you are a shield, that you are a protector, and specifically, you're a protector of women and you are a shield for women, and you are a safe place for women. And if you give a prophetic word from the stage, I've learned, is that you don't look for a man's reaction. Because a man could be getting a dead-on prophetic word, and we'll just be sitting there like. (laughs) You look at the wife. (laughs) It's what you do. Like, is this landing? Okay, look at the wife. Wife's reacting. All right. Wife's bawling. Wife is bawling, and he's just sitting there like, okay. And then they, they say in responsible prophetic, they say, does that make sense? And he said, yeah. I'm a missionary in Thailand, and I help protect traffic women and get them out of trafficking. And everybody did that and went, <gasps> maybe this is real. There was a little girl who unbeknownst to uh, anybody, um, uh, I say little girl, she was my daughter's age. My daughter's still a little girl. Um, and she, she was part of a, a group that danced at church, at their church. They, they, had, they would just dance sometimes during worship. Um, but all the other girls in the group turned on her and started to bully her for dancing. And so she stopped dancing. And it, it really caused some angst and some strife in her. And we were there on, it was the second night of the conference, so it would have been Friday night. And for the first time, she looked to her parents and she said, I'm going to go dance. And so the parents are like, oh, yeah, go dance, go dance. <laughs> and she goes off and she dances and just during worship, and there's people all over the place, so it's not like she was the only person that was dancing. There's probably 50 people on the side just kneeling, bowing, raising their hands, whatever, just having a little bit more freedom in their movement. And they had the prophetic team up there, and a a man looked at her, and he said, you are dancing. God wants you to know that he sees your dancing, and he loves your dancing, and that you should keep doing it not knowing any of the backstory. Parents, bawling, bawling. Right? Nobody knew the backstory. Earnestly desire all the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. This is real stuff. It's real change. It, it, it shifts hearts. It points them to Jesus. It lets Jesus know, I see you. I love you. Keep going. So we believe that all the spiritual gifts have continued. In dogmatic number five, Michael taught about authority or identity last week. 
and that you must root yourself in what God says about your identity if you want to live out the kingdom on earth. Your identity at the core is who you believe yourself to be. Who are you? And we have, we have false narratives going on all the time about who we are. They come from ourselves. They come from other people. And a lot of times they come from what we think other people are saying. Not what other people are actually saying, but what we think they're saying. The false narratives come from every advertisement you watch on TV. You're insufficient in some way, but if you buy our product, you'll be okay. But we believe that you are not who you say you are, but you are exactly who God says that you are. And if you want to dive into that deeper, go listen to last week's message that Michael gave. And what we're going to talk about this morning, knowing your identity in Christ is vital to walking in your authority. So here's dogmatic number six. Faith Church believes that every believer is called to walk in the delegated authority of Jesus Christ. We know Jesus says, I have all authority in the spiritual realm and in the heavenly realms. I have all authority in the heavens and on the earth. So go, therefore, make disciples. So we know that Jesus has all authority. Our passage in Uh, Ephesians chapter one says that he's seated in authority at the right hand of God above all of it. And so we know that. And what we're gonna talk about is the delegated nature of his authority towards us. This quote that I have next, um, uh, it's from Tony Evans, but I tweaked a couple words. So if you remember, me and Tony Evans wrote this together. He just doesn't know that, right? I just took his and I tweaked some words. Authority is the God-given right and responsibility delegated to believers to act on God's behalf in spiritually ruling over his creation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. God's saying, this is what you have because of who you are in me. You have this authority, and not only do you have it, but you have the responsibility to use that authority Because he's given us this earth, the church, he's given to the church this earth for us to bring under his lordship. He says, uh, the psalmist writes in 115, he says, the highest heavens belong to God, but the earth he has given to the children of men. He has given us this earth, and Jesus has authority over it, but now he's saying, now you go. You go and do it. And then simply put, authority is the believer's legal right to use the power of God to bring his kingdom on earth. You can do this because of who you are. Authority is the believer's legal right. You have all permission and responsibility to bring the power of God here on earth. And it started way back in the beginning. I'm gonna go through this a little quickly. I did a full message on this last year and we can get that to you if you're interested. But Adam, as a representative of humanity, was given dominion over the earth. God had the earth, and God could have ruled the earth any way that he wanted to, but he chose to use human beings. He chose to use Adam, and he said, Adam, I'm giving you the earth. I've made you in my image, so take Take it, subdue it, have dominion over it, have dominion over the animals, have dominion over creation. It's yours. 
I've given you the authority to do that, to rule with me. But then Satan deceives the earth's ruler, Adam, and death enters the world. Yes, I know that Eve was deceived first, but uh, the book of Romans puts the, everything on the shoulders of Adam. It says that when Adam sinned, death enters the world. You see, sin didn't enter the world there. Sin was already in the world. How do I know that? Because Satan already rebelled. But, but what happens was that Jesus, or excuse me, uh, what happens is that Adam stays pure before Jesus, but when he sins, then all of a sudden, death enters in. And if you read the book of Romans, death is the main enemy, that death comes in. And so the world that Adam was supposed to rule over would now rule over him. This is the, the, the words spoken over Adam. Do you hate your job? Blame Adam. Before that, work brought joy and energy and hope. But then after this, Genesis 3, God says, now you're going to toil by the sweat of your brow. You ever walked through uh, some bushes and got scrapes on your legs? Blame Adam. Everything now is going to begin to rule over him. Having trouble in your marriage? Blame Adam. The, the wife longs for the husband, but now he has to rule over her. <laughs> Blame Adam. I'm getting a shirt that says that. So when Adam sins, all of creation falls and authority is stripped from him to rule the earth. And I one time, one, one of these days, I'm gonna teach you about this phrase, all creation falls. If you read the Bible, land, this created earth is more than just soil. It's more than just rocks. It's more than just water. It, the, 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 the sense in the Bible is that it holds on to things and it feels things. Right? When, when Cain kills Abel, what does it say? That the blood cries out from the ground. Like that murder, something changed in the ground when the blood was spilled, and now it's crying out to God, this isn't right. Right, the, the verse in Chronicles says, if, you, uh, if, you, um, if my people who are called by my name, he says all that, he says, if they will humble themselves and pray, I will forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. Like sometimes the land needs healing. That's how come there are places on this earth and maybe places that you know where you go and it's just, it's not right there. And nothing's ever been right there. The land might be holding on to iniquity. Right? I don't have time. We'll keep going. Okay. So all of it is stripped and Adam is the representative of humanity. And when authority is stripped from him, it's stripped from all humanity. And so what happens is the serpent comes in and just takes what's rightfully ours, takes what was rightfully Adam's and his son's and was supposed to be for the generations. And from Genesis chapter three, Satan begin, continues to build his counterfeit kingdom. 
He leads the rebellion of Genesis chapter six. And the sons of God that are placed over the nations come under his influence to rebel. He continues to build this up. And so by the time that Jesus appears, it's clear that Satan has a kingdom. Jesus acknowledges it. That he's the ruler of this world who sets in motion Jesus' death. Right? He thinks he's pulled one over on Jesus by, by sending him to the cross. How does he set it in motion? It says, and Satan entered Judas. He's the God of this world that blinds the eyes of unbelievers. And so when Jesus comes, he understands that Satan has this kingdom, that there's this war, there's this battle. And Satan tempts him, says, I'll give it, I'll give you my kingdom if you just bow to me. I'll give you everything that you want that you're coming for if you just bow to me. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because Jesus comes, the Bible tells us, to destroy the works of Satan. He came to destroy it, right? He said, came to set free the bondage of the people, lost to Satan. He came to set us free from all of that. And then he put, takes authority over the nations, right? This is prophesied in Psalms chapter 2. And I'm going to read that really quick here. And here's what it says. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Because the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the nations are rebelling and trying to plot against God. And here's what it says. He who sits in the heavens laughs. And he holds them in derision. And he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then he goes to the cross. And he goes to Jesus. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. He says, Jesus, you're gonna be the begotten son and I'm gonna give you all the nations. You want all the authority? I'm gonna give it to you. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. Everything that Jesus came to do it was done at the cross. He's begotten, the nations are raging, and they still rage, but God has already told, I've, you ask me, I'll give the nations to you. Jesus must have asked because then he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. It says that Satan is bound from deceiving the nations. It doesn't mean that he's bound from all work, but he cannot hold power that will keep the gospel out if the gospel's called to go in there. So Jesus comes and he conquers all of it. Because a man gave away authority, a man must win it back. And we see throughout the Old Testament that no one was capable of doing that. The great kings were not able to do that. David couldn't do it. Solomon couldn't do it. Then you have a, 
a, a pattern of good king, bad king, good king, bad king. None of them could do it. The nation couldn't stay faithful. No man could do it. So Jesus comes living as fully man. But to take away the spiritual grip of sin and death, a God was needed. And so he maintains his deity and he comes as fully God and fully man. That's how he wins things back. He had to come fully God and fully man to win back what was lost at the garden. He had to overcome the physical nature of death, but the spiritual nature of rebellion as fully God and fully man, and he conquered it all. And he did it by turning it around on Satan. Satan thought he had it. Did you ever get in trouble with a little kid, as a little kid and your mom used your, your own shoe to punish you? I can't remember if that specifically happened, but I'm just going to say that happened. Is that okay, Mom? That's probably happened. That ever happened to you? You got in trouble? Nearest thing is your shoe, your baseball glove, your whatever. I think I have repressed things coming back right now. I don't know. No. Jesus does the same thing. He takes what Satan thinks is his greatest weapon and turns it against him. He takes death and takes it to bring life, victory, and conquering it all. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy. We want to destroy by power and might and conquering and muscle. And Jesus says, no, sacrifice and death is what destroys the works of the devil. Because he destroys the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And he delivers all of us who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. We were subject to slavery, but we are subject to it no more. And so each step in his ministry, each step of his life was this, this, um, this way that he's going to bring redemption. I think of it like the triple jump. Okay, if you don't know. So it's an Olympic event. I was thinking about the Olympics as I was trying to work on this metaphor. And the Olympics is just like the first, it's just like a bunch of guys being guys centuries ago. It, it probably just started out like, hey, I bet I can run to that tree faster than you. Well, let's go. And then other people see him running and say, well, I'm faster than all of you. And they run. Well, you could run to that tree faster, but I could run, I could run to the river faster. That's longer. That's how the mile was born, right? They just run. I can jump farther than you. You see, that's the long jump. See the stick? I can throw it farther than you. That's the javelin. Triple jump makes no sense to me. Because it's like, if you don't know a triple jump, you have to run, and then you take three big half steps, half leaps, and then you jump, and then it's like, somebody was losing at the long jump, and they're like, well, why don't we have to take three big steps before we do it? (laughs) But this is what Jesus does. He does this this three-pronged purpose, this this multi-stepped way to redemption. He lived a sinless and perfect life. He never sinned. 
This is the first step. If he would have sinned, it would have destroyed everything because what does sin give access to? Death. So if he would have sinned, he would have stayed dead. But he lived a perfect life, so death never had grip on him. By his death on the cross, Jesus takes away our sin. A glorious truth of the gospel. That because he died, he takes away our sin. But we're also told that he takes away our curse. He becomes a curse for us on there. He becomes our sin. Right, that at the cross, the Father disarmed all the rulers and authorities. All of this is happening at the cross as Jesus dies. By his resurrection, he conquers death and Satan. He shows death that it has no hold on him, that he has victory over the greatest enemy that mankind faced. Jesus already defeated it. And he defeats Satan in the process. And he ascends to the Father and right now reigns in authority over everything. All authority, the perfect life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, Jesus conquers it all. That's why he's able to say, all authority has been given to me. That's why we're able to say that at the name of Jesus, Everything must bow, whether it's in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he won, he reigns, he lives. That's the Jesus that we serve. And we look at this one with all authority and with all power, the one who could pick a little girl out of a crowd and say, God, Jesus loves your dancing the one who could stand in, in, in a place and bring a, a spirit of healing, right? This Jesus, he's now delegated to us that same authority that he has. While he's doing ministry on earth, here's what he does in Matthew chapter 10. I'm gonna read verses one and then go to five through eight. It says, and he called the 12, to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So what is the first thing he does when he calls them together, he gives them authority. And they, these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. You know what he's saying to them here? He's saying, you've seen me do it. You've seen the power that I have. You've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me cleanse lepers. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen all of this. And now you have to go do the same thing. It's your turn. You go. But was that only for the apostles? No. In Luke chapter 10, after he does this, he calls 70 to him. And after this, the Lord appoints, uh, the, it says 72. I think it's 70. There's a footnote that says some manuscripts say 70. But I think it's 70. He sent out 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two 
into every town and place where he himself was about to go. First off, this has nothing to do with this, but this came to me as I was preparing. Look, people had to go to a place to make way for Jesus to come in. Understand that. Jesus wasn't just going to barge in, but he sends his emissaries, he sends his disciples out, and he says, you go first, you prepare the way for me, and when you prepare the way for me, I'm gonna show up and we're gonna, things are gonna get done. So why do I say that? Because we have pre-service prayer at 920. If you wanna see the power of God, come prepare for Jesus to come. You can't, you can't just uh, expect to show up and sometimes God will sovereignly do it, but here the scripture gives us the template that we must go before him and then he comes and follows after. Okay, we'll keep going with our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. This is a great evangelism verse. The harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. Behold, it's white. It's ready for harvest. But then he says, this is how you go get the harvest. Listen to what he says. Whatever house you enter, First say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So we, you carry peace. Just, you carry peace. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. How does, how does the, the harvest get done? Heal the sick in it, in the town, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You want to harvest, let's go heal the sick. And they go and they do that, and they come back a few verses later, and they say, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you what? Authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In Matthew 10, the first thing Jesus does when he gathers his 12 is he gives them authority. He says, you have authority now. Go heal the sick, go cast out demons. Gives them over the unclean spirits and to heal every disease and affliction. That's what he gives them authority to do. And then he tells them what to do with this authority in more detail. He says, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. These are signs of the kingdom. Then he calls the 70 together and gives them marching orders. Go into the towns before Jesus, heal the sick, proclaim the kingdom of God. And then the 70 come back and they rejoice that even the demons are subject to them in the name of Jesus. Now, here's my question. He didn't specifically tell them to cast out demons. Why are they casting out demons? Because when you proclaim the true kingdom of God, demons manifest. And when you start healing people, demons start manifesting. 
praying with a, a, a young woman at the conference. And she says, I'm having a health issue, but I don't want to give you any details. I'm like, oh, man. Okay. And she's like, all right, well, you pray. And I'm getting nothing. Nothing. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I was like, just tell, give me a little bit more something. And she says, well, I'm looking to go into some functional medicine, and I want to know if there's wisdom in this and that. And I was like, okay. Running through it, and I ask her, is it a digestive problem? She says, yes. I said, is it dealing with your stomach lining? Yes. Um, okay, then let's focus that on prayer because that's what God seems to want to reveal. And so I'm asking her all these questions. And I'm praying for healing, and we can't tell, but I'm praying for healing, physical healing, but I get this sense that there's something more going on. And so I ask her, and I might ruffle some feathers, but I don't care, it's true. I said, have you ever done yoga? And she says, yeah, but it was, you know, I went on a, uh, yeah, I, I went on a Christian yoga retreat and I did this. And I was like, there's no such thing as Christian yoga. There's just not, you can't call something Christian when you're worshiping another God. And I said, can I pray for that? And she says, well, I don't know that it's wrong. I said, okay. And I won't pray for it. And I said, here, here's a couple resources, a couple podcasts you can listen to, here's a couple things you can read. Um, if you ever uh, want to get prayer for yoga, I can direct you to people that live near you. Like, go ahead and do it. Because when you start praying for healing, that sort of thing tends to pop up. Right? Sometimes, well, you never say never and you never say always. Seizures, cast out a demon, seizures usually leave. That's the method that Jesus did. This boy's been having seizures, it's throwing him into the fire. Jesus casts out a demon and the seizures are healed. These are all intertwined in Jesus. So he gives them, he says, just go heal the sick. But they come back saying, demons are subject to us. So they ran into some stuff while they were doing the stuff. So do you ask, does this extend to us? Jesus puts the proclamation of the kingdom of God into the hands of the apostles, his other followers, and ultimately the church. Because he tells them to take everything he taught them and to teach others. So I have all authority, so go therefore... And make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And what did he command them to do? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out lepers, cleanse the lepers, don't cast out lepers, cleanse the lepers, (laughs) cast out demons. Go heal the sick, go proclaim the kingdom of God. He says all of this, and then he says, now go teach others to do the same thing. If he commanded his first followers, he's commanding me. So you have the delegated, the same delegated authority as the 12 apostles and the 70 disciples that followed. And then there's even more. I'm not gonna dive into these too deep. I'm just gonna leave you with some scriptures. He gives even more spiritual authority over the enemy. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing language is spiritual warfare language. If you want to hear more about that, Naked Bible Podcast, episode 329. Binding and loosing is spiritual warfare language. 
Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. See it? But you will, come, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be witnesses. You will bear witness to the good things of God when the Holy Spirit comes in you. You can proclaim the kingdom of God. So I'm talking about your authority. I'm talking about the, the spiritual right and responsibility that you have, what, what Jesus has put in you to do these things through the Holy Spirit. But you have to always, always remember that it's not about you. At any point, it's not about you. Man, I had been wondering, like every pastor when they start out, whether they're a youth pastor, associate lead, every pastor at some point when they start out is like, man, I would love to go speak at a conference. I would love to go speak at other churches. I would love all of that. I, I've, I had that when I first started. Right? And it died and then it comes back up. And I got the opportunity this last week. And man, it was fun and it was good, and there was a lot of ministry that happened, but I walked away and kind of was like, is that it? Like, this is what I was longing for so much? Like, I, I'll do it when God leads me and people ask me and, and stuff like that, but it wasn't this position where I was like, I made it. Because I don't ever want to make it. I never want it to be about me. And trust me, you guys, it's hard not. It's hard when you start to walk in authority. It's hard not to make it about yourself. You have to constantly reframe your mind. You have to constantly reframe your focus because yes, God wants to move through you and God wants to use you. But the second you make it about you, you fall prey to the same things that have befallen man from the very beginning. And not only man, but it befell, befell Satan as well. Even the demons are subject to us, God. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are looking in heaven. I taught this last year and I had never heard it taught before. What I'm about to tell you right now, refresh for some of you, first time for some of you, and then two weeks later, we went to uh, a, staff, um, a staff conference at the North Georgia Revival with Todd Smith. And he said the exact same thing. And I remember Amy looked over at me and was like, did you hear that? I was like, yeah, I'm listening, Amy. I heard it. <laughs> Look, this is not simply Jesus recounting a historical event. Yes, it happened. He saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But what he's doing is he's giving them a warning. He's saying, yeah, demons are subject to you, but it's because I gave you the authority. But I saw pride even overtake the highest angel and he fell. Don't let it happen to you. God, we did this and we did this and we did this. And he's like, great, Satan fell. 
He was one of the highest. He was one of the closest to me, and he fell. What do you think is going to save you? Don't let the pride overtake you. But he said, yeah, I've given you authority over snakes and scorpions, which is demonic language, but your real joy comes from the Father. What is he doing? Call back to last week. He's rooting them in their identity. All of this happens, yes, but you're the fathers. Take joy in that. You belong to the Father, the creator, the sustainer. You belong to him. Find your joy in that. And as you keep doing that, then yes, all of this other stuff will still be subject to you. You'll still walk in all the same authority, but be connected to the Father because that's where it comes. But rejoice that your names are written by in heaven, not only that you know God, but that God knows you. Here's how we're ending. Jesus has given us all his authority. So we continue his mission to reveal the kingdom of God. We become the lights in the dark place. We bring healing to the sick. We bring freedom to those in bondage. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to those in a lost and dying world. He has given us the authority, the right, and the responsibility to do all of that. So if we have the same spirit that Jesus had, and we've been given the same authority Jesus was given, then we should expect to walk the same way that Jesus walked. This is how we live. And in all of this, the one thing we cannot forget is that love drives authority. Why did Jesus get all the authority? Because God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. He didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that through him, the world might turn and be saved. Love drives authority. That's how come 1 Corinthians 13 is right after the spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians 12. He's saying, look, all of this stuff is good, but I'm gonna show you the best way, the most excellent way to use it because if you have Uh, If you speak and you're just sounding like a noisy gong or a cymbal, if you have all the prophetic gifts that you can have, if you have all of that, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. Apart from Jesus, uh, John 15 says, you can do nothing. This love for Jesus drives our authority. So then that also brings to mind the question, how do you view the world? Look, we can see the chaos. We could see the the rebellion in the world, but how do you look at that world? Do you look at it as, well, it's bad. It should just keep getting bad. We shouldn't do anything. We should just hide ourselves away in our own little commune. Or do we look at the world and say, God loved this world this world that seems at sometimes like it's going off the rails. He loved this world so much that he gave Jesus. 
And then he gave me the marching orders that we should go out into the world in that authority with the same love of Jesus to bring the kingdom of God. We should heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. We should go and proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you because he's given it for us to do. He's given you the means. We just have to take advantage of the opportunities. This is the high calling of the kingdom of God. Look, the Bible says this is the high calling. We try and we try. We've never been taught this. We've never practiced it. And so we only experience this much. And so what we do is we say, well, the Bible must not have really meant that. And we bring the Bible down a notch. Eh, demons aren't around anymore, you know. So that, 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 sometimes they're in India, and maybe if you go to China, you'll see some demons or whatever. And so we bring the Bible down. And he says, well, you know, uh, healing the sick, that really doesn't happen today. He just does most of his healing through doctors. And, 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 and then we bring the Bible down to our level, but not our level, because we know that, that it should give us something to strive for. So we bring it down to like a level half a step above us. But instead, we look at what the Bible says way up here, and we don't say, how can I bring it here? It's like, Jesus, how do you want to sanctify me? How do you want to move in me? How do you want to use me? So that my experience begins to rise to the level of what the Bible says my experience should be. Have you given, as we reflect, have you given Jesus authority over your life? Have you said, Jesus, I'm yours? Forgive my sins, I'll follow you. I want, to, I want to, to just lay it all down for you. I want you to have complete authority over me. I will do what you say. You are my king, you are my savior. Have you done that? Do you believe that he died for you, that he rose again, that he's at the right hand of the Father right now and is looking on you with love and drawing you back to him? Have you given Jesus authority over your life? And if you have, then where do you need the authority of Jesus to reign in your life? Where's the place where you're struggling, where you're doubting, where there's fear that you need to say, Jesus, you've been given all authority, not my thoughts. My thoughts haven't been given all authority. My fears haven't been given all authority. You've been given all authority. Can you come into this situation and do it? And will you make the choice to learn to walk in authority? This is the kind of stuff we're doing for the next few Sunday nights. On a level up from that, that's what we're doing through the School of Kingdom Ministry that we announced. Do you want to learn to walk in it? Because I know, I know that there's there Christians, some of them are just like, I know that's there, but I don't want it. I just want to sit comfortably I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to step out. I don't want to risk. Man, don't let that be you. Don't let that be us. Don't let that be this church. Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why don't you stand with me?
come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. writer of Hebrews says this, for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For those in here might feel who you come to church and you feel confident in it. You think, yeah, I can do this, I can do this. And then you walk out the doors and your confidence fails and falters like mine so often does. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous shall one shall live by faith and if he shrinks back my soul has no pleasure in him but we are not of those who shrink back but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls father help us hold on to the confidence in you help us hold on help us not to shrink back Let us give ourselves fully and completely over to Jesus and say, do what you will. We'll follow you. We'll eat your flesh. We'll drink your blood. We'll, we won't have a, a, a foxhole. We won't have a nest and like the birds do, but we'll follow you. We'll let the dead bury their own dead. We won't put our hand to the plow and look back, but we'll go forward in confidence with Jesus because Jesus, you are worth it. His name, amen.
confidence goes those who do not shrink back. Go knowing the authority that's been delegated, given to you. Use it. It's your right. It's your responsibility. It's for you, for the good of others. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight.